Chapter Fourteen of the Lances of Linwood by Charlotte Mary Young. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The open space beyond the walls of Bordeaux presented a bright and lively scene. It was here that the pages of the Black Prince were wont to exercise those sports and pastimes for which the court of the palace scarce offered sufficient space, or which were too noisy for the neighborhood of the ladies and of the invalid prince of noble and often of princely birth were all who entered that school of chivalry and for the most part the fine open countenances noble bearing and well-made figures of the boys testified their high descent as completely as the armorial bearings embroidered on the back and front of their short kirtles many different provinces had sent their noblest to be there trained in the service of the bravest knights and princes there besides the brown-haired fair-skinned english boy was the quick fiery welsh child who owned an especial allegiance to the prince the broad blue-eyed fleming whose parents rejoiced in the fame of the son of philippa of hainault the pert lively gascon and the swarthy navarez mountaineer all brought together in close and ever-changing contrast of countenance habits and character of all the merry groups scattered through that wide green space the most interesting was one formed by three boys who stood beneath a tree a little from the rest the two eldest might be from ten to eleven years old the third two or three years younger and his delicate features fair pale complexion and slender limbs made him appear too weak and childish for such active sports as the rest were engaged in but that the lordly glance of his clear blue eye his firm tread and the noble carriage of his shapely head had in them something of command which attracted notice even before the exceeding beauty of his perfectly moulded face and long waving curls of golden hair so like him that they might have passed for brothers was one of the elder boys who stood near there was the same high white brow proud lip regular features and bright eye but the complexion though naturally fair was tanned to a healthy brown where exposed to the sun the frame was far stronger and more robust and the glance of the eye had more in it of pride and impatience than of calm command so remarkable in the little one the three boys were standing in consultation over an arrow which they had just discovered stuck deep in the ground tis my arrow that i shot over the mark on monday said the elder nay harry said the younger boy that cannot be for remember thomas holland said your arrow would frighten the good nuns of st ursula in their garden it must be mine persisted harry for none of you all can shoot as far yes english arthur can said the little boy he shot a whole cloth-yard beyond you the day well never mind edward said harry sharply who cares for arrows weapons for clowns and not for princes nay not so lord harry interrupted the third boy i have heard my uncle say many a time that england's archery is half her strength and how it was our archers at the battle of crecy i know all that how the men of genoa had wet bowstrings and ours dry ones said henry but they were peasants after all ay but a king of england should know how to praise and value his good yeomen henry turned on his heel and saying 
well let the arrow be whose it will i care not for it walked off do you know why harry of lancaster goes arthur said edward smiling no my lord replied arthur he cannot bear to hear aught of king of england was the answer if you love me good arthur vex him not with speaking of it father cyril would say he ought to learn content with the rank where he was born said arthur father cyril again said prince edward you cannot live a day without speaking of him and of your uncle i do not speak of them so much now said arthur colouring it is only you lord edward who never make game of me for doing so though i trow i have taught pierre de grely to let my uncle's name alone truly you did so said edward laughing and he has scarce yet lost his black eye but i love to hear your tales arthur of that quiet castle and the old blanc etoile and your uncle who taught you to ride sit down here on the grass and tell me more but what are you staring at so fixedly at the poor jaded horse that yonder man-at-arms is urging on so painfully tis no it is not yes tis brigley adore and john ingram himself cried arthur oh my uncle my uncle and in one moment he had bounded across the ditch which fenced in their exercising ground and had rushed to meet ingram oh john exclaimed he breathlessly have they done it oh tell me of uncle eustace is he alive master arthur exclaimed ingram stopping his wearied horse oh tell me ingram reiterated arthur is my uncle safe he is alive master arthur that is he was when i came away but as sore wounded as ever i saw a knight and the butcher of brittany is upon them by this time and here i am sent to ask succours and i know no more whom to address myself than the cock at the top of linwood steeple but what has chanced john make haste and tell me and john in his own awkward and confused style narrated how he had been entrapped by sanchez and the consequences of his excess but said he i have vowed to our lady of taunton and st joseph of glastonbury that never again arthur had covered his face with his hands and gave way to tears of indignation and grief as he felt his helplessness but one hand was kindly withdrawn and a gentle voice said weep not arthur but come with me and my father will send relief to the castle and save your uncle you hear lord edward exclaimed arthur who had not perceived that the prince had followed him oh yes thanks thanks none but the prince can save him oh let me see him myself and that instantly then let us come said edward still holding arthur's hand arthur set off at such a pace as to press the little prince into a breathless trot by his side but he too was all eagerness and scorned to complain they proceeded without interruption to the court of the palace edward leading the way hastened to his mother's apartments he threw open the door 
looked in and saying to arthur he must be in the council chamber cut short an exclamation of lady maud holland by shutting the door and running down a long gallery to an antechamber where were several persons waiting for an audience and two warders with halberds erect standing on guard outside a closed door prince is in council my lord edward drew up his head and waving them aside with a gesture that became the heir of england said i take it upon myself he then opened the door and still holding arthur fast by the hand led him into the chamber where the prince of wales sat in consultation there was a pause of amazement as the two boys advanced to the high carved chair on which the prince was seated and edward exclaimed father save arthur's uncle what means this edward demanded the prince of wales somewhat sternly go to your mother boy we cannot hear you now and i i cannot go father replied the child till you have promised to save arthur's uncle he is wounded the traitors have wounded him and the french will take the castle and he will be slain and arthur loves him so much come here edward said the prince remarking the flushed cheek and tearful eye of his son and tell me what this means edward obeyed but without loosing his hold of his young friend's hand the man-at-arms is come all heat and dust on the poor drooping jaded steed and he said the knight would be slain and the castle taken unless you would send him relief it is arthur's uncle that he loves so well arthur's uncle repeated the prince and turning his eye on the suppliant figure he said arthur linwood speak boy oh my lord said arthur commanding his voice with difficulty i would only pray you to send succour to my uncle at chateau norbel and save him from being murdered by oliver de clisson it was a voice which boded little good to arthur's suit that now spoke if it be sir eustace linwood at chateau norbel of whom the young prince speaks he can scarce be in any strait since the garrison is more than sufficient the little page started to his feet and regarding the speaker with flashing eyes exclaimed hearken not to him my lord prince he is the cause of all the treachery he is the ruin and destruction of my uncle he has deceived you with his falsehoods and now he would be his death how now my young cousin said clarinum in a most irritating tone of indifference you forget in what presence you are i do not replied arthur fiercely before the prince folk clarinum i declare you a false traitor and if you dare deny it there lies my gloves folk only replied by a scornful laugh and addressing the prince said may i pray of your grace not to be over severe with my young malapert relation the captal de bouche spoke you do not know what an adversary you have provoked folk the other day i met my nephew little pierre with an eye as black as the patch we used to wear in our young days of knight-errantry what wars have you been in master pierre i asked 
it was english arthur who had fought with him for mocking at his talking of nothing but his uncle but you need not colour and look so abashed little englishman i bear no more malice than i hope pierre does i only wish i had as bold a champion i remember thine uncle if he is the youth to whom the constable surrendered at navaretta and of whom we made so much too much then and too little afterwards said old sir john chandos you do not know all chandos said the prince you do not yourself know all my lord said arthur turning eagerly lord de clarinum has deceived you and led you to imagine that my uncle wished ill to me and wanted to gain my lands whereas it is he himself who wants to have me in his hands to bend me to his will it is he who has placed traitors in chateau norbel to slay my uncle and deliver him to the enemy they have already wounded him almost to death here arthur's lips quivered and he could hardly restrain a burst of tears and they have sent for sir oliver de clisson the butcher gaston will hold out as long as they can but if you will not send succors my lord he will will be slain and kind gaston too and arthur unable to control himself any longer covered his face with his hands and gave way to a silent suppressed agony of sobs and tears cheer thee my boy said the prince kindly we will see to thine uncle then looking at his nobles he continued it seems that these varlets will allow us no more peace and since there does in truth appear to be a knight and castle in jeopardy one of you had perhaps better go with a small band and clear up this mystery if it be as the boy saith linwood hath had foul wrong i care not if i be the one to go my lord said chandos my men are ever kept in readiness and a knight's gallop will do the lazy knaves all the good in the world arthur brushing off the tears of which he was much ashamed looked at the old knight in transport thanks chandos said the prince i would commit the matter to none so willingly as to you though i scarce would have asked it considering you are not quite so prompt on a late occasion my lord of pembroke will allow however that i did come in time said sir john it was his own presumption and foolhardiness that got him into the scrape and he was none the worse for the lesson he received but this young fellow seems to have met with this mischance by no fault of his own and i am willing to see him righted for he is a good lad as well as a brave as far as i have known him how came the tidings asked the prince did not one of you boys say somewhat of a man-at-arms yes my lord said arthur john ingram my uncle's own yeoman has come upon brigliador with all speed i sent him to the guard-room where he now waits in case you would see him ay said old chandos a man would have some assurance that he is not going on a fool's errand let us have him here my lord cause him to be summoned said the prince to arthur and at the same time said chandos send for my squire henry neville to the antechamber the men may get on their armour in the meantime 
in a few minutes john ingram made his appearance the dust not yet wiped from his armour his hair hanging in disordered masses over his forehead and his jaws not completely resting from the mastication of a huge piece of pasty his tale though confused could not be for an instant doubted as he told of the situation in which he had left chateau norbel and its castellan the best man could wish to live under well he hath forgiven me and given me his hand upon it forgiven thee for what said the prince ah my lord i may speak of treason but i am one of the traitors myself did not the good knight leave me in charge to make my rounds constantly in the castle while he slept after his long watching and lo there comes that wily rascal the seneschal sanchez with his tis a cold night friend john the night wakes thee up early come down to the buttery and crack a cup of sack in all friendliness down then go i oh that i was thinking that may be our night was over strict and harsh and pulled the reins so tight that a poor man-at-arms must needs get a little diversion now and then as the proverb says when the cat's away the mice may play but it was drugged my lord else when would one cup of spiced wine have so overcome me that i knew not till i hear master dobricourt shouting treason in the courtyard like one frantic but the knight has forgiven me and i have sworn to our blessed lady of taunton and saint joseph of glastonbury that not a draught of wine spiced or unspiced shall again cross my lips a wholesome vow said the prince and here is a token to make thee remember it and he placed in the hand of the yeoman a chain of some value go to the guard-room where you shall be well entertained till such time as we need thee again as we may if you have been as you say long in sir eustace linwood's service but what now hast more to say i would say so please you my lord that i pray you but to let me ride back to chateau norbel with this honourable knight for i owe all service to sir eustace nor could i rest till i know how it fares with him as you will good fellow said the prince and you chandos come with me to my chamber i would speak with you before you depart my lord said arthur would you but grant me one boon to go with sir john to chateau norbel you too you would almost make me think you all drawn by witchcraft to this castle but arthur's eagerness extorted a consent and he rode off amid sir john chandos's troop boldly enough at first but by and by so sleepily that as night advanced sir john ordered him to be placed in front of a trooper and he soon lost all perception of the rough rapid pace at which they travelled it was broad day when he was awakened by a halt and the first thing he heard was there is st george's pennant still safe he sat upright gazed eagerly forwards and beheld a tall dark tower rising by the bank of a stream at some distance chateau norbel he asked oh ho my little page 
said Chandos. You are alive again, are you? Aye, Chateau Norbell it is, and we are in time, it seems. But let us have you on your own steed again, and let us see if Oliver be there himself. We shall have sharp work. Aye, keep you by the side of the old master leech there. He will be sure to keep out of peril. Now, close in. Lances in rest. Bows bent. Forward, banner. Arthur, by no means approving of the companionship assigned him, contrived to wedge in his pony a little in the rear of Sir John's two squires, as the whole squadron rode down the slope of the hill and up the ascent on which the castle stood. Loud cries and shrieks from within began to strike their ears, the clash of arms, all the tumult of attack and defence, raging fearfully high and wild. Ho, ho, friend Oliver, we have you in a trap said old chandos in high glee as he drew up close without the walls neville guard the gates he signed to about half his band to remain without and cut off the retreat of the enemy the jew doctor chose his post in their rear close to the castle moat but not so arthur unnoticed and forgotten he still kept close behind the squire who rode alongside of Sir John Chandos as he crossed the drawbridge. The castle gate was open and showed a wild, confused mass of struggling men and flashing arms. It was the last, most furious onset when Clisson, enraged by the long resistance of so weak a garrison, was concentrating his strength in one effort, and, in the excitement of the assault, he had failed to remark that his sentinels had transgressed his orders and mingled with the crowd who were striving by force of numbers to overwhelm the small troop of defenders of the bartizan in rushed chandos shouting his war-cry in dashed his stout warriors and loud and fierce pealed forth st george st george drowning the now feebler note of mont joya saint denis and fearful were the shrieks of horror and of pain that rose mingled with it hemmed in attacked in front and rear their retreat cut off the french looked in vain for escape some went down beneath the tremendous charge of the english some cried for mercy and surrendered as prisoners oliver de clisson himself seeing that all was lost swinging round his head his heavy battle-axe opened for himself a way and with a few followers broke through the men whom chandos had left outside and cutting down a groom who was holding it captured one of his led horses on which he rode off at his leisure confident in his own gigantic strength so little resistance had been offered that arthur's bold advance had involved him in little danger he was borne onwards and only was conscious of a frightful tumult where all seemed to be striking and crushing together at last there was something of a lull the cries of mercy and offers to surrender alone were heard Arthur found his pony standing still, and himself pressed hither and thither by the crowd, from which he knew not how to escape. Above these various sounds he heard an opening door. There was a press forward, which carried him with it. 
the heavy doors shivered here and there by clisson's axe had been thrown wide open but the crowd closed in he saw no more he threw himself from his pony struggled forwards and at last emerging between the arms of two tall men he beheld sir john chandos dismounting from his war-horse which was held by a grim bloody dusty figure in broken armour whose length of limb and the crisp black curled hair that showed through the shattered helmet proved that it could be no other than gaston d'aubricourt arthur darted forwards his heart upon his lips but neither knight nor squire had eye or ear for him they were hastily exchanging queries about he knew not what they were not of his uncle and borne on by his impatience he hurried past them up the narrow stone stair more than one corpse a ghastly sight lay on the steps but he hastened on half a dozen men were standing on the stones at the top all like gaston dusty and gory and leaning on their weapons or on the wall as if exhausted they were looking intently at the court and gave no heed to the boy as he ran on into the hall two men lay there groaning before the fire arthur stood and looked round hesitating whether to ask them for his uncle but perceiving the spiral stairs quickly ascended far and far up he wound till he came to a low-browed arch he paused and saw a large vaulted room through the loophole window of which shone a yellow stream of golden sunshine there was a low bed in one corner and on it lay a motionless form on tiptoe and with a throbbing heart the boy approached he saw the face it was ghastly pale he stood transfixed could it be yes it must still be his own uncle eustace end of chapter fourteen